ki te naro to tātou reo i roto i inei mahi, kua naro mātou nei e hara i te Māori, he ata o te Māori. If we don't use our language in everything we do, then we are only mere shadows of our forebears. E nga hoe whao te motu nau mai haere mai ki te whare nei a te ahikā. Ko Maraia Rakraku ahau. Ko Justin Maria hau, nau mai ki te wahanga nei o te ahikā i runga i te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Watches Radio New Zealand folks. And for the next 50 minutes or so, we've got you covered for a weekly delve into Te Ao Māori. Recently, a weavers exhibition opened at the Rotorua Museum of Art called Maiti Whenua of the Land. One of the featured artists is Hawaiian weaver Paulette Kahalepuna, who sees the similarities of the hardships mirrored in our respective cultures. Well, unfortunately, some people would say, you know, our, our language is dying out. Um, the practice of uh, speaking Hawaiian is not done as much as I've seen it and heard it here. As much as I know, that's what you know. Uh, conversationally, I'm not a native speaker. And so, yes, we were born, you know, born and raised from the 40s to now. And even with my parents from Generation. the 20s, in, you know, the 1920s or so. Um, so just like we've been, the language wasn't passed on? No, or? no, because when we did the artwork and we, and we do it today, uh, the use of words are just words, the, the technique. It's vili or it's poipoi or it's kamoi, but there's no lead into as conversationally for me to say, okay, you know, in Hawaiian to say, um, oh, golly, um, uh, work is hana, and uh, hulu is feathers, you know, to, to correctly put these words into proper structure. I don't have that. Weaver Paulette Kahalepuna coming up later in the show. As the Golden Shears event celebrated its 50th anniversary this year, 26-year-old Cam Ferguson made his mark and went on to win the coveted prize. Pipping 16 previous title share at 48-year-old David Fagan at the gate. Cam spoke to Justine about the win and the all-important technique. Yeah, when you grab the sheep, you've got to shear it fast, but you've got to shear it clean. Like take all the wool off and don't cut it. And you can't do no second cuts. Like You can't cut the wool in half and then cut it again. So you've got to take it all off in one shot sort of thing. Yeah, like You can't sort of ride off the skin and then come back and cut that bit again. That's a penalty. It's called a second cut. You've got to take everything off and you go fast. Yeah. And talking about fast, how fast were you? Oh, 16 minutes, 30. 16 minutes. 20 sheep, yeah. Cam Ferguson coming up later in the show. I'm Maraia Rakaraku. And I'm Justin Murray. Nā reira i aku rarangatira mā. Mehuri mai o koutou tāringa ki ngā kōrero rawe e whaiake nei. Yeah! Edna Pahewa is currently the Tumuraranga, or Head of Weaving, at Te Puya in Rotorua. She's the daughter of weaver Emily Schuster, and some of Edna's work is part of an exhibition at the Rotorua Museum. Mai Te Whenua of the Land features the work of fibre artists from around the world and was born out of this year's Indigenous Weavers International Symposium, which Justine attended earlier this year. Ko te aroa te iwi, ko te aroa te waka, uh, Ngari, I have been living in Tukoroa for 35 years. Um, 35 years? Yes. And um, that's where your family's based? 
No, uh, my family, my husband, uh, when I married, we moved over there and had our children. It's really close enough to Rotorua and far enough away when you want it to be too. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, um, it's only a 35-minute drive. So, Edna, what's your role here? At the pui, where or I work? With um, Te Ropuraranga. With Te Ropuraranga Fatu, I am the current chairperson and this is my fifth year as chair. The role within Te Ropuraranga Aotearoa is to revitalise the, the, the art form of weaving or does it encompass many art forms? Um, raranga mainly, but... Um, the revival is over, as you can see today. We have a strong following. Very strong. But those queer back in the early 80s who just, who could see the threat of our craft, um, not so much here in Rotorua because craft has always been strong in Rotorua, but out in the, the wider motu, um, they decided, the queer, to get together and start this rōpū uh, to revive it. But I believe the revival is over because we have a strong following can you go back to your upbringing and, and learning the, the art of raranga from your mum, Emily's sister? You know, what kind of, did you undergo some sort of like training? Did you have to do it every day? Was, what, did you, was what did you weave first? Yeah, it, was, it was our upbringing, eh? Um, as I told you, my queer nanny would um, make us learn pupu because pupu is known, Rotorua weavers are known for their pupu making. What's the name of your queer? Um, uh, ngātai, ngātai bub. She was... Um, Ngātai Rātema, um, and Tene Waitere was Hukroa, he was a master carver, and so, um, and Ngātai was the only sister of Gairangi. So, you know, we, we were in the in the upbringing of Māoridom, really, and culture, as oh. well as weaving. So, my nanny was the younger sister of Gairangi. Of Gairangi, which is Meki Papa. No, no, no. Maggie Papakura's daughter-in-law. Oh, right. She married Maggie Papakura's son. But, yeah, so Nanny was probably overshadowed by the popularity of her sister, of Gaidrangi, but that was all right. But she, as I said, she, um, weaving, we, we were always doing pupus in the house, and that was the first thing I learned how to make, was a pupu, which to people that's quite a, a hard task. You know, you start with a kono, a simple food basket, not a, a pupu. <laughs> <laughs> but starting with the hardest thing, I said, or one of the hard things can make only make the next challenges a bit easier. So we, um, ten years old, we were making pupu, we were making kete, and although Nanny um, introduced me to it, Mum did the finer details, you know, and um, I learnt a lot off Mum and more, and, and off my twin sister who's since passed on too. Um, they were my mentors or my tutors, yeah. Mm. And so through your, you know, teenage years to your um, adulthood, have you always carried that skill with you and have you...? Yes, yes. Um, once I got married and moved to Tokoroa, I didn't stop making pupus because it, it's a good income when you're a mother and I had had my four children and um, over there... They eventually found out who I was, like one of Emily's daughters. They needed to have uh, the whanui that was erected at the time over at, in Tokoroa, Papo Te Aroha, was um, needed tukutuku panels and right. things like that. Um, and mum came over to help them with the project and I was up there with her and then that was it. It was just, if they wanted things, it was approach Edna. Although mum and all of the 
the queer to do with the marae there came to together to do the project. But then um, I'd get girl guides or brownies to, you know, can you come and do the brownies badges, <laughs> which I was a little brownie at when I was little, so that was okay. Oh, and I cool. kept my hand in the circle of weaving. Because that would be a form of, tan wouldn't um, badges be tanikō? They so? have um, anything that you can create with harakeke. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the, the girl guides or brownies, I'd do their badges. Um, the schools, different schools would want, um, you know, a bit of mahi for their NZQA Māori, Māori certificate. Cool. So, yeah, that kept me in, in there. And then mum would ring up, oh, we're doing this, blah, blah, can you come over? So, mm. yeah. As chairwoman, what does this kind of symposium mean to the weaving community? It's huge. Um, to us as Māori to host it, um, as, to us as Māori weavers to do the hosting, um, to our invited Indigenous people, um, the similarities yet differences of all Indigenous people. Um, what really gets me is, is the respect we or we all have for our, our land and our mountains and our rivers. They're no different. Um, I think we as Māori are probably a lot better off than our Indigenous Aboriginal friends. Any, um, in terms cousins. of our language and our culture? Our identity, oh. yes, definitely. And our craft, and our craft. Um, some of our Native American Indians have actually lost their, um, well, you know, themselves through colonisation. And they come here to, to New Zealand to see how we as Māori have developed. So having to tell them that it wasn't an overnight thing. We've had our struggles as Māori too, but we're getting there and we are in a lot. It makes you appreciate what you have mm. once you, um, especially for the Rōpū. I've never been so many places as I have within since I've been in the Rōpū and in the chairmanship, which opens your eyes to the struggles that our, our other Indigenous folk have. You mentioned some of your travels and your... Um your presentation today, you know, where's the furthest that you've okay, been? Um, because my my position as as um, and working, I am a legacy from Mum. I'm the, the Tumuraranga or the head of weaving at Tapuya here, or the New, New Zealand Māori Arts and Crafts. And um, between my position at at Tapuya and my position on chair. We can walk hand in hand, like when I'm on Te Ropuraranga Whatu or Aotearoa business, I can promote Te Puya as the New Zealand Māori Arts and Crafts Institute. So they complement each other they almost. They do, they do. And when I'm with the Institute, I can um, talk about the Ropu as a national weaving body. So they do complement each other and I can wear the two hats. But um, I've had the privilege of going to the United States four times um, from mainly on the northwest coast, which is where the northwest coast of America, Oregon, um, Seattle and San Francisco. Um, I've been, we've been through Tapuya to Samoa and Japan. Um, through wow, Japan. Oh, awesome place. Uh, you know, out of all the places I have been to, I would go back to Japan. If it was by choice, Japan was a, a lovely place. The people are gracious, the... It's and it's steeped in history. Is the language a barrier when you go there? Very much, very much. That was the only downfall was the the, the language, you know. It was good in some ways where you could say you don't want to pay money or pay that much, <laughs> but it was a big, um, it was a barrier. And in going to those places, Edna, your job, your your role was to just to promote see. our Māori craft, 
um, in Tepuya, it's it's the carving and weaving. Um, in the Ropu, it's it's the weaving mainly. But when, you know, we we support the other um, art forms within our um, Toy Māori umbrella, and and of course that is all the other nine because there are ten within Te Ropu. Uh, Kia ora, Edna Pahiwa, a weaver in Tumuraranga e Tepuya in Rotorua, whose pupu is exhibited at the art exhibition Mai Te Whenua of the Land at Rotorua Museum, which closes 20th of June. Get along to it. Cam Ferguson is one amazing athlete. He's the youngest candidate in 21 years to win the coveted Golden Shares title for sharing. During the 1960s, who wasn't sharing? Sharing was very much a part of Aotearoa. I mean, hey, it's how my parents met. And the work-hard, play-hard lifestyle was a given for years, actually, until the old school started approaching it more like a business. So really, Mariah, sharing has been a part of Māori circles or Māori whānau for, what, generations? Generations. I mean, my whānau was sharing for years and years and years. It's the hardest job I ever did. What was so hard about it? Uh, what was your day like? Getting up at maybe 4.30 or 5, depending on where your accommodation was, driving to the shed, and uh, then getting out, setting up. I mean, I was the world's most useless rousing. <laughs> but it's very much different sharing, uh, working in the sharing gang with your grandparents. Uh, so it's rousing like you pluck, you're plucking. So as somebody sharing the sheep, uh, your job is to get the wool that's been shorn away from the sheep and to get it out of the shearer's way. And so my, when I was growing up, my grandfather and my uncle would be the shearers and so my brothers and my cousins and I would be doing that job. So what you're saying, Marai, is pretty hard work. Oh, it's, it's incredibly hard work, but you get looked after. Like, the cooks were amazing. It's a, it ends up being a long day. Uh, but you know now it's uh, it's a business. I mean, look at it this way, Justine. It was the best nine hundred dollars I made when I was a poor student. <laughs> well, I reckon we should get back to Cam Ferguson now. He was relaxing with his baba at his home in Waipawa, Central Hawke's Bay, when I turned up for our cordial. Well, Cam, you are the two thousand and ten winner of the Golden Shears. Yep. I mean, was it a buzz winning? Yeah, awesome, awesome feeling. Yeah. yeah. How long have you been sharing for? Uh, Ten years. Since you were six, 17. 17. Yeah. Where did it all begin? Uh, here in Wapau. Yeah, um, I found my, like a sharing family and uh, and sort of like I had a kid young in it, so I needed to make money and so I went out, got a job sharing and sort of enjoyed it. And then he just carried on, done it full time and sort of liked it. Then started a competition sharing and then sort of took it up professionally and yeah, the money was good and just carried on, and here I am. Yeah, my brother's a shearer. He's down south and he's doing well. He's a senior shearer, Michael Ferguson. Um, my dad was a shearer. He's retired now. And my uncle's got two uncles with shearers. All my all my girlfriends are shearer. <laughs> my auntie, yeah, my auntie's a shearer. She was a shearer. And, um, yeah, and just from a shearing family. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely that passion that's been you know, simmering away for years since you were a teenager. Yeah, oh, I didn't didn't really want to do it, but I was always there. Like, I always seen it, I was brought up You were with around it. it. Yeah, so yep. I knew, I knew pretty much what to do. And then when the time came, I had to do it. 
Yes. Sweet. So we're in the Central Hawke's Bay, Waipawa. You were born and raised here? Yep. So you've been yep. here all your life? Yep. Sweet. What's yep. the best things about living in, in Waipawa? Oh, close to my family. Yep. Yeah. It's um, a good place, good cheering place. A lot of good cheers here. Um, yeah, good rugby. That's no, just a good place to be, close mm. to the beach. Now, um, your entry into the Golden Shears came your sixth yeah. time, so you've been in it since you were, what, 20, 20 early 20s? Yeah, it would have been, yeah, 20, 21, mm. yeah. And how have you, in terms of um, placement, how have you been in the past six uh, years? I think the first times? time I went in, was I was intermediate chair. No, I placed third. Then I went back the next year and won the senior. And then went back the next year and made the top 30 in the Open. Then I made the semi-final in the Open right up to this year. They made the final one. Mm. Yeah. For someone like me, Cam, who doesn't know what exactly is, in, is involved in the Golden Shears, what is the Golden Shears all about? Well, it's, like, it's an international show. It would be the biggest one in New Zealand. It's just like, it's the one that everyone wants to win. And heaps of shearers go there. There's 110 Open shearers this year. And is that from sheds around New Zealand or around the world? Around the world, yeah. Shares from all around the world came. It's just a big show, eh? real traditional show. And um, yeah, this year the winner was got a place in the New Zealand team, and yeah, place to go to the world champs in that. So and it was the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah, it was so, too. Yeah, a lot of people wanted it, and yeah, yeah, the pressure was on. So yeah. I mean, you being what in your mid twenties, going up against some old hands and sharing at the Golden Shears, what did that feel like? Oh, because there was were there some competitors? Was there a guy in there that's won it? David Fagan. He's the legend. He's won it sixteen times, won the world champs five times. He's pretty hard to beat that fella. Is that someone that you aspire to be like? Yeah, yeah, it'd be hard to get to where he is and do what he's do. Yep. Or, you know, but it's it's doable. But there's a lot of good shearers in there. Eh? Like a couple of shearers from the bay. They are real good shearers. Like Dion King, Johnny Kirkpatrick. They um. They really dominate, eh? Like, yeah, they're hard to beat these guys. And, um, yeah, they are they're a lot older than me, but, yeah, I just, this year I just dug deep and went hard, eh? And, Sweet. Yeah. I mean, this was the sixth time that you've been in the Golden Shares. Did you have something, what was so different about this entry for you that, you know, made you dig deep? Was it, did you train? Did you do more sharing this year? Or did yeah. you train? Or? I gym, gym three times a week. Gym? You know, Sweet. Worked every day and just... You know, a lot of help from the family and all that sort of thing. Just make it a bit easier. And, you know, I worked real hard for it, eh? Yeah, it was pretty hard work. It was just a relief to get it. Well, yeah. what kind of workouts did you do at the gym? I'm quite curious. <laughs> oh, you know, you just do... Weights or... Yeah, little light reps on weights. But a lot of cardio. More cardio, yeah. Just, yeah, more rowing machine, treadmill, yeah. Just to describe to me what you have to do, what you had to do to take out the golden shears in terms of physically what you had to do? Oh, you just have to get up there and you got to shear it fast, we got to shear it clean. Like, take all the wool off and don't cut it. And you can't do no second cuts. Like, you can't cut the wool in half and then cut it again. So you got to take it all off in one shot sort of thing. Yeah, like, you can't sort of ride off the skin and then come back and cut that bit again. That's a penalty. It's called a second cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can't do that. you got to take everything off and, yeah, go fast. Yeah. And talking about fast, how fast were you? Oh, 16 minutes, 30. 16 minutes. 20 sheep. Yeah. Yes, Peter, give them a hand as they come up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Kay from Woodville is on stand number five. Malcolm Sadler from Nelson is on stand number three, four. Uh, 
So you obviously you came first, you won it. What does the title mean? What did what did you actually win? Won uh, three thousand dollars, placed in the New Zealand team to go to the World Champs, um, golden handpiece. So it's pretty cool. You've got a few travel plans in the next what month and a bit to Italy and Wales. Can we talk about that? What's what's happening in Italy? Yeah, um, I'm just going there to work, just get fit for the World Champs because over there you sort of work. Um, you work like from seven in the morning till say nine at night. You know you're working all day, and it's and I'll be there right up until I get to Wales. So that's just the way I can be ultimately sharing fit. You know. Yeah. And then um, yeah, not shouldn't be not much that can stop me from there. Yeah. So Italy is 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 um something that came out of the golden shares, or is you so you're going there to work, yep. just to just just to share in the in yep. the sheds there. Yep. So, um, I mean, how did this come about? Who? All... Um, I got a. I just got a stand from a mate. Yeah, and um, yeah, I go there. You make good money there, but um, I think hanging around here is quite not as busy. And um, oh, okay. No, I think I'll just be more like fit if I go there. Would it be fair to say is Italy sheds more busier than New Zealand yeah, ones? Yeah, it's a lot of like you work every day for two months. Yeah. Without a break. Yeah, it breaks. And then from Italy, how long will you be there for? Uh, two months. Or oh, two months, so eight weeks. Yeah. And then from there, do you come home for a bit? No, I'll go straight to Wales for six months. Whoa. Yeah, there's six tests there. Yeah. So you'll be away for eight months? Yeah. No, no, four months. Four, four months, months, four yeah. months. Sweet. Yeah. So let's talk about um, Wales. That's the World Sharing Champs. Yeah. Um, but it's not called the Golden Shares, obviously. It's no. called the World It's called the Royal Welsh Show. Royal Welsh Show. Yeah, that's where it's held. Yep. Yeah, all the best shearers from their countries yep. go there and compete for, to win the world title. Yeah. You know how when you're um, like in a netball team or rugby team and often the coaches show videos of the opposition, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you suss out your competition? Does it work like that? Yeah, oh, you've got a fair idea who's, who's going to do well. And, um, yeah, but it's usually the Kiwis, eh? They win. So you go yeah. there and you're just going to be, oh, hey, bro, yeah. you know. But there's, yeah, there's, there's going to be two Kiwis. Two Kiwis. That go, yeah, the next one gets picked at the New Zealand Champs. And, yeah, I think the Welshies will be hard to beat there. There's a couple of good Welshie shearers, but, yeah, and there's a couple of good Scotsmen and Englishmen and, um, yeah, just the other Kiwi. Depends who that is, yeah. Mm. So just because you won the 2010 Golden Shears, you you'll, you still go to your competitions? Yeah, it you, doesn't, gotta, you don't have a rest? No. I, I want it to, but you still got to stay in it, eh? And, yeah, I've been a bit laid back like the last couple of weeks, like not as serious, but you know you got to stay in it, eh? Otherwise, you just get left behind. What do your brothers and your and your whanau think of your achievements? Oh, they're wrapped, eh? Yeah, they can't get over it. Yeah. yeah, is it hard to do to compete overseas and within New Zealand financially? Well, yeah, it is quite hard. Like you got to stay wise with your money when you travel. Yeah, but um. 
New Zealand Insurance Sports pays for all the travelling and that, so that makes it a bit easier. And um, yeah, no, nah, it is. It's quite hard if you if you're not careful. Yeah. I just no, I went hard from the word start. Eh? I, I worked every week and just went short fast. Went hard for like four years. Done the hard yards and um, it paid off. But yeah, I just worked here and um, well, power. Mainly for like, for like Murray Cornia, he's a local contractor here, and for like Barry Baker, he's just that Hong Kong. It's about ten k down the road. Yep. So they looked after me like real good, and um, yeah, now I work for a guy New Wipe. He's just in Wipe. Yeah, and now he's looking after me. So it's, that's a lot of help. Hey, like good contractors keeping me going, and right. yeah, they look after me. Like when I need sheep, they give it. So, <laughs> Sweet. Like whenever I ring up. Oh, give me sheep. So it's, that's a big, that's a real big help. Eh? I mean, you talked about earlier about um, you know working in the gym, uh, working out in the gym, and and, and um, competing in these weekend competitions. You know, is it hard? Describe physically the toll that shearing takes on your body. Oh, uh, if you don't stay fit, you you'll get sore. But like, as long as you stay fit and keep shearing, that's uh, just like any other job. Eh? You don't feel nothing. You, as soon as you, if you slack off and sort of. Eat the wrong things, get chubby, <laughs> yeah, and get sore. Right? Yeah. Does that mean that you're on a, you know, you have to watch what you eat? Yeah, yeah, yeah especially me. Shit. <laughs> yeah. So, are you looking forward to going to um, Italy and Wales, Cam? I want to go there, work hard, and um, just do my best to win it. That's all I want to do. I do the right things, just make sure I'm 100% when I get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have you been dealing with the, um, you know, you're the Golden Shears winner for this year. Um, how have you been dealing with, I suppose, the, the spotlight? I mean, oh, it's been, a, sort of gets a bit like, hectic every now and then, but yeah. yeah, just take it as it comes and yeah. Do you get a lot of support from, from, from your partner? Yeah, yeah, should yeah. She, yeah. she's a shearer. Yeah, oh, she was. She was yeah, a shearer. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but nah, yeah, she's like, she keeps me going. Eh? She's probably. Like she deserves fifty percent of like all of this stuff, eh? Because like mm-hmm. I'm the one that's out there, like my name. But uh, yeah, she's like helps me hard, eh? Makes it heaps easier. Mm. So when you won, what did she have to say to you after you after you won the golden shears? Well, after she stopped crying, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she nah, she was wrapped. Yeah, you know, the whole family was wrapped there. Eh? Cheering from the sidelines, eh? Yeah. Namahi Kiakui Cam. For photos of the trophies, you can head to our web page now. We've posted up some pictures. I'm Marae Arakraku. And I'm Justine Murray, and this is Tiahi Ka on Radio New Zealand National. Edna Pahiwa is following in the steps of the legendary weaving whanau, the Hitets. And like generations of her family, she's exhibiting. Maiti Whenua of the land at Rotorua Museum features one of her pupu. Another one of those artists is Hawaiian feather cape maker Paulette Kahalepuna. Paulette runs her own business in Oahu, teaches hula lessons and talks about the similarities of her culture and the Māori culture and that both of us are working to revive both languages. I spoke to her earlier this year at the Indigenous Weavers International Symposium in Rotorua. My name is Paulette Kahalepuna and I'm from Hawaiian Islands and specifically from Oahu. Weaving, it was funny we spoke about that earlier. I don't consider myself a weaver. And when the invitation was extended to me to come to this conference, I was like, oh, but I don't weave. And Tina Werehana says, 
Yes, you do, Auntie. You weave your the threads with your feathers together. So yes, you're a weaver, and I'm going. Okay, I'm a weaver. In our islands, we 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 do have weavers, and in fact, I think the weavers that I know would probably be laughing hysterically to consider me a weaver because I've tried my hand at it, <laughs> weaving lauhala, uh, which is also known as pandanus. Pandanus. Um, my skills are minimal. Um, to gather, clean, prepare. I've experienced it all, but that's not my cup of tea. My, my kuleana, my concern, my focus is the feather work. Feather work. And mm-hmm. you're talking about, um, we call them korowai or kākahu, as is it cloaks? Right. Um, my primary um, instructing on feather art is uh, the adornments for the women, and that would be the lei. And uh, in Hawaiian, lei means any adornment that goes around your neck. So it could be the, the uh, cord that's holding your name tag. It could be a string of pearls. It could be a chain. Uh, it could be the encircling arms of a child around its mother's neck. It's a lei, yes. And so for um, the um, lehulu, Lehulu is lei is the adornment. Hulu is the item that this lei is made from. So if you're wearing a string of pearls, it would be lei momi. Momi is pearl in Hawaiian, and lei is the adornment. So, so for um, my art form, it's making of the feather lei and uh, a few other um, feather accessories. So, Paulette, um, can we talk about um, your family background, you know, and, and as you may have heard here, lots of women come from a long line of weavers. Right. Is that the same with you? I can say that it comes from a family member because my teacher was my mother. But for my mother, her teacher was an associate who she met in 1955. And in 1956, had the opportunity to learn from Leilani Fernandez, her teacher, and continued the work herself personally and for her own convenience until uh, 1962 when I asked her to teach me. And uh, How so, old were you at that time? Um, I was a junior in high school, so that was about 16 years old. And uh, I did my first two lays, which were about the length of a bracelet. And, when I, and it was done with dyed chicken feathers. And when I reflect upon those two lays that I did, oh gosh, they were so awful. The feathers were not cut evenly. The tying was not consistent. And But you know, you got to start somewhere. And of course, since I was the only one in our high school making feather object, I got an A, so I was really excited about that. So that was good. Um, I would probably safely say that most of the teachers that teach today have come from my mom in her teaching in the community at large in Hawaii, whether it was on our island or Maui Island or the big island of Hawaii. She taught in uh, on all the islands except those two that are, well, one that's not inhabited and the other one, which is a private island, Niihau. But mom has taught in many a community within the islands, and I've been fortunate enough to be continuing that work. And she's done numerous workshops in the past in California and Oregon 
and Washington State and What's Illinois. Your mom's name? My mama's name was Auntie Mary Lou Kekueva. When she came here in 1990, we came with a delegation from Hawaii that was at the Waitangi Festival. And um, my mom was very tall, very majestic looking, and always wore feathers in her hair. And a couple of the ladies that are here at this festival remember her. They, you know, they said, yes, we met your mom. And, and my mom was um, quite a charming lady. And that I think if she had had her way, she would have hunged every person <laughs> on the beach there at Waitangi. <laughs> And, uh, it, and that was just her personality. She made everybody feel very comfortable and such. And then my, my dad, uh, like many in families, you know, you have someone involved with an activity and you kind of involve everybody in the family. So my dad, who was a, a merchant seaman, uh, worked on the ocean, became tugboat captain and so forth. Whenever he was in from the ocean, mom would have him doing this and doing that. And so my dad became acquainted with feather work also and was a part of it in the latter part of his years with us and uh, became very well versed on it. And when we study our history and our cultural practices on feather work, the makers of our feather objects were the men. So it seemed a natural course, but my dad never would have dreamt that he would ever be doing feather work because, you know, he's a man yeah. and he has, you know, he was a tugboat captain. So he was always out at sea. And But when it comes down to um, cultural values and such, um, both my parents were born at a time when cultural values weren't being practiced or the language being spoken. It was discouraged. Just like? Māori people back in the 50s, 60s, you just taught the, you were told the Pākehā way was the way forward. Right. And so we went through that situation as well. But my dad, um, because of Mama's influence, uh, she did the feather, make teaching of the feather lay and such. So it was around their, their home, our home, all our lives. And... Um, Dad, kind of, I think what it was that intrigued him most about it was the um, putting together of the pieces. So it wasn't just um, um, cut and paste or cut and tie, but literally thinking of pattern, design, structure, and um, that intrigued him. And he became uh, very well versed. The teachers on our feather are ahu is the word that we use for your your um, kodawai. We say ahu. Ahu. Uh-huh. And um, was the mathematics, the placement of the cordage, the bundling of the feathers, the uh, placement and tying was intriguing for him. Um, and before he passed away, he taught three students, and one completed. The second one brought pictures to his grave to his funeral and showed him, Uncle Paul, this is where I'm at with my ahu and I will finish it, I promise you. And they did. So the first time we had a student come into the shop and ask for instructions on feather cape making, I looked up at the heavens and I said, okay, Dad, you have to come back now. That's your job. And of course, you know, realistically, no, Paulette, you have to step it up. So I am now instructing on feather cape making. Okay, you have the second cut. All right. 
You have on there your first cuts. Now what you're going to do with your second cut is you're going to do it in the moi position. So actually, I'm going to make you folks think that much more. Are we still thinking? Yeah. Or are we mud? I'll think. Mud. <laughs> okay. So what we're going to, because we have that one revolution, you have one flower, right? You should have a flower. Or something that looks close to a flower. Okay. So you're going to create a little space between that flower. Drop it down. Do a three wraps and a half hitch there, right where your fingers are. Just the thread with the yarn. Drop down. Do three wraps and a half hitch. Drop it down and then start with her. How are you going? <laughs> it's not easy. It's a very fiddly, fiddly work. You've got to have long fingernails. Okay. All right. Now you're going to take your second cut in the boy position, bend down, place it where you did your half hitch, and now tie that second cut on there. Bend down, but you need to clip it. Now, Paulette, we've heard some, it's only the second day here at the symposium, but we've heard stories such as using the art form of weaving to tell the histories of your people, mm -hmm. whakapapa or genealogy, mm -hmm. um, to the Māori language. You know, do you see any similarities, and I'm thinking, obviously you probably will, between the Māori culture and, and your culture? Well, there, there are lots of similarities. When it, when it comes down to doing the feather work as we're doing it today, uh, much of the structuring or the thought process back of what you're going to be making and most often to see a um, feather adornment around the head or the neck uh, is directed by a group so if it's a regalia or part of a costume uh, part of a dress for a particular organization well it's prescribed this is what you have to do and then yet there's others that have the freedom to pick a color, possibly. Um, and, of course, what we try to emulate are the colors of our native bird species that were used for the um, helmets, for the cloaks, for the kahili, for the lei. And, of course, like your birds that you find here or in most of our, our indigenous places, um, the colors were emulating the birds that fly. Uh, if you wore a feather adornment, it was a reflection of, of that. Uh, it, yes, it created warmth, it created patterns, but you also complementing nature. The natural beautiful colors, uh, in our case today, um, we're, the only way we can do that is we get dyed feathers in order to just emulate the color of our native birds because they're either extinct or endangered and we no longer have the gathering right. And for me personally, uh, not being able to gather my native birds is okay only because if I gathered, there's not enough to do anything with. You need so many, many, many f feathers that we would totally have every bird on our islands extinct because there's there's no way to propagate or to you know continue their 
having more more birds so that there's more feathers. Yes, it it will come to an end. We're we're trying by having them protected, but you know in. Um, life expectancy things don't turn around instantly yes. it still takes a while so for us to focus on the making of the feather items with the best sources that we have without going to glue or plastic or paper we try to use a natural material still mm. it may be dyed but it's still feathers mm. um we do use natural feathers like you have on some of the korowai that are here that are pheasant, so you have that natural color. Your pukeko, your large um, bluebird, you have that. You know, there's still some species that you're still able to gather from as a native, I'm assuming, that um, you have that. We use uh, Chinese golden pheasant, which has a natural red and a natural gold and a natural green, but it's not native. We have uh, the pheasant, which is not native. We use guinea hen, like I've seen on some of the ahu, but it's not native. And so for me, the resolve of at least working with feathers is still within uh, a realm of the feather art. So it's not replacing it by cutting paper and making it look like it. Although there is an organization who wears, as part of their regalia, uh, feather, um, not feather, but cloaks and capes, which would replicate their family's genealogy, but it's out of crepe paper. It's oh. out of um, plush. It's out of felt. And But the identity of it being a cloak or being a cape and that they're wearing the family crest is still needs to be respected because they still keep that identity. Yes. It's not lost altogether. Just because they don't have the feathers does not um, keep them from at least representing their ancestral background with what materials they do have. There has been some quoted all that because weaving oraranga is a part of the Māori culture. It should it encompasses you know you got weaving um, and in particular Te Reo Māori or the Māori language. What is the state of of your language and where you're from, Oahu? Well, unfortunately. Some people would say, you know, our, our language is dying out. Um, the practice of uh, speaking Hawaiian is not done as much as I've seen it and heard it here. I think I know mahalo. Yes, right. As much as I know, that's what you know. Uh, conversationally, I'm not a native speaker. And so, yes, we were born, you know, born and raised from the 40s to now and even with my parents from Generation. the 20s, in, you know, the 1920s or so. Um, so just like we the language wasn't passed on? No, or? no, because when we did the artwork and we, and we do it today, uh, the use of words are just words. The, the technique is vili or it's poi poi or it's kamoi but there's no lead into as conversationally for me to say okay you know in Hawaiian to say um, oh golly um, uh, work is hana and uh, hulu is feathers you know to, to correctly put these words into proper structure I don't have that but the growing um, interest and the growing concerns of us losing our language altogether. Um, thank you to Kohangareo. And 20 plus years ago, when our professors, Larry Kimura and Kawanoi, um, 
Wilson and um, Kalena Silva, who are our professors that were young at the time. They're older now. I hope they don't hear this tape. Anyway, um, they came here in uh, interest of um, learning the process of how it is that you taught your young right, people. the revitalization of right, the language. revitalization of the language. Then they came back and they started this school and um, where the, um, the technique recently that has surfaced from not only what they had learned from Kohangareo and us establishing schools on all the islands for preschoolers, for pre-early um, education and such, developing their book curriculum, uh, cut and paste, do the translation, cut it up, paste it in the books that the children can read. Uh, we now have numerous publications done in Hawaiian language. And uh, the teachers, um, the classrooms throughout the public school system as well as private school system are always full. And graduating students from our university and community colleges in language and uh, cultural backgrounds and so forth, they can't graduate them fast enough. Kia ora, Paulette Kahalipuna. For photos from the symposium, we've posted links to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Next week, we begin our coverage of New Zealand Music Month with our first CD review in the Te Wete Wete series, 1814, and their album, Ja Rydam. And make sure to mark the 20th and 21st of May down in your diary for Pau Pau Pau, the humongous Māori music showcase. It's at Papitia Marae in Wellington this year. Justine and I will bring you more details in upcoming Te Ahika. Kua tata mai te mutinga a te ahika, a neira a Carl Leonard nō te aroa with this week's Whakatauki. Ki te ngaro tō tātou reo i rotu i nei mahi ko ngaro mātou nei, e hara i te Māori, he āta o te Māori. So for our overseas, guess what it means is if, if we don't use our language as well, which is you know, everything springs out of your language. Without that as a connection to what we're doing, we're not like our ancestors, we are just a very light shadow of them. So, so I think language is just as important ingrained into this. I tēnei wā, kahuri māua ko maraia ki tētahi o ngā pānui Paudi Rawatu. This week we lost someone pretty special to us here at Radio New Zealand National, uh, Alma Maua. While Alma was based up in Radio New Zealand International, she was actually everywhere throughout the company. All of us have got stories of our relationship with her. The words I could use to describe her would be ballsy, feisty. To me, she was like every brown woman, every sassy brown woman of nine times a million and she was fantastic to party with. Um, <laughs> she could swear like a sailor, and she was really, really good at her job. She was pretty amazing, pretty amazing, and she even did a few things um, for Te Ahi She did. She covered a couple of events for us. She'd turn up at my desk and she'd be saying, Kia ora, kia ora. Now, I've got an idea for a story. 
Um, we should. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, how could you refuse that, Justine? Mm. I was like, yay, we get to have some material from a such a seasoned professional Juno. And she would always be talking to me about up-and-coming sports, um, Marby sports men coming up through um, through rugby, um, through other things. She was giving me ideas about the Takitamu Festival. And she was always talking to me about how um, our connections were between Pacific peoples. And not to mention that Alma um, took a few iwi radio trainees under her wing when they came through Radio New Zealand for broadcast training over recent years. That's you, right. You could attest to that. Yep, she Mama. was... Um, it was no sweat for Alma to give you a tune-up <laughs> if you weren't performing. <laughs> and she, And she would... Uh, you know, she'd given away that, I mean, she reminded me so much of some of my aunties. Like, they just tell you how it is. <laughs> and you, if you can't handle it coming from somebody like that, then really you've got to toughen up and just get on with the business. And she was all business and she was extremely professional. And I am going to really miss her. But like everybody here, you know, so we're talking on behalf of all the t- engineers and stuff that have had things to do with her over the years. Nareira kia koe, Alma, ki tō whānau whānui, ki tō mātou hua mahi o te reo irirangi o Aotearoa, ka nui te aroha kia koutou katoa. Ai, moi mai rā i te whaia.